Well, good morning, everyone. If we could have our young people go downstairs, Miss Kiki has a great, great time in store for you. God's got a great time in store for us up here too, doesn't He? What a, those are the songs I'm going to sing in heaven. Let's just pray and just ask the Holy Spirit to fill us. Anybody need some filling in here right now? Holy Spirit, we just ask that you uh, dump over us your glory. We don't want to just have a little something. We want to be overwhelmed by you. And we open our lives to be overwhelmed with you right now. We take apart, strip off our pride and our arrogance and our self-sufficiency right now and our do-goodism. And we say, God, strip all of our religion off, all of our tradition, all of our past views, all of our assumptions of what you do and who you are, how you act, how you move. And we say, God, today, right now, that it's in him we live and move and have our being. And apart from you, we are nothing. And so, God, I just pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to fill us, to be filled. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Galatians 5, I actually gave you uh, your bulletins the wrong verse. Actually, it's 5.25. is what I wanted to highlight. Actually, 16 works too, but I wanted 5.25. This is a tough message. I mean, all the messages are tough for me because I have to practice them just like you guys do. And it's like, how do you feel about the message? I'm like, I don't know. I said, I'm looking at this. I'm like, this is going to be a hard one for me to follow. So um, this is this is one on re- revival and uh, resistance and reformation in our own lives. But Galatians 5.25 says this, Since we are living by the Spirit, let us also follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And I think it's important for us to understand that staying in step with the Spirit, he says we're supposed to live in step with every area of our lives. And so staying in step with the Spirit in every area of our lives, there's three things I wanted to focus on. Number one is revival. Um, Number two, resistance. I think resistance is a good thing. And number three, reformation. We had a reformation by Martin Luther, and uh, it sparked revival because he said it's not, this isn't how church is supposed to be. Let's start with revival real quick. William James writes this, In some, religion exists not as a dull habit, but as an acute fever. And I love that. I think some people, religion exists as kind of a habit that we do. We just go to church because that's what you do. And although that's great, we have a little thing we get into, a spirit of revival will start to get into us when we really treat church and when we really treat the house of God with a reverence and an understanding that when we come together as a body of Christ, revival can and will happen. I mean, isn't it a beautiful thing when God describes in Scripture where two or more gathered in my name, there I am in their midst? Isn't that a beautiful promise? That as you and I come together, that there's a promise that God is there. (laughs) And so when we have revival, and I want you to know when I speak of revival today, I don't mean that we got to sing louder, and that we got to raise our hands higher, and that we got to pray longer. Folks, that doesn't, there's a lot of churches out there that have a revival on Wednesday at 6 o'clock, and how many can tell me, that ain't revival? Thinking an amen there. So revival happens when God sparks change. Revival happens when God's people are awakened. First of all, revival is a byproduct. Let me say it like this. You know, we think of souls being saved as revival. Now, that's, that's a byproduct of revival. But you know what revival is? It's people being reawakened to the call of God. That's revival. So revival has to start in us. And as an overflow of that... Then the Holy Spirit goes out and does something. So God is reviving His people. When you think of reviving, it means something was alive and is now dead and needs to be 
pumped in needs to have spiritual CPR. How many of you in your lives, and we don't have to be unashamed, we don't have to be shamed about this, saying you needed revival at some point in your life? Folks, there are things in my life that I need revival in. And if we don't long for that and say, God, I need you to raise things up in me that have died, then we will go what William James says, religion exists as a dull habit, but some it becomes an acute fever. I want to be those who are excited about the things of God and God doing something that I don't know about yet. You know, I had the fever this week. I had an acute fever. <laughs> I had the flu earlier this week, and I remember I would sit there, I would get the chills, and then all of a sudden a fever would spike, and uh, my dad texted me how I was doing, and he told me what was going on, and I said, I'm under two blankets and a sweatshirt. It's going great. So, but fevers, man, you know when you got the fever. I got the fever. <laughs> But Jesus expects us to be little Christ. Turn real quick to Luke 3.16. Let's see a crazy man real quick. You know God uses crazy people. He doesn't use the polished. He doesn't use those who are, uh, you know, got it all put together. He uses some people that are a little off the, the crazy end. John the Baptist. Many of us wouldn't even want to meet this guy. We would have left him out there. Right? He would have worked in the church boardroom. He couldn't have worked there. The Sunday schools, he would have been, well, who is this guy? This guy is a nutbag. John the Baptist, Luke 3.16. Everyone was expecting the Messiah, verse 15, I'm sorry, to come soon, and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. John was doing some great stuff. John and his followers... John was going after, he was excited, he was preaching. Guess what he was preaching? Revival! It was amazing. John answered their question by saying, I baptize you with water. By the way, if you've been baptized with water, this would be a good idea to do that. Yeah. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not even worthy to be a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with Fire. I want you to understand that. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat in his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area and gather the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff will never ending fire. John used many such warnings as he announced the good news to the people. Isn't it amazing how he describes, he says, I baptize you with water, which is a repentance, which is a, a new birth, new, new life, but he's going to baptize you with fire. Do you know when they were in the upper room and they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come? He says, you guys wait in the upper room. He didn't see water in the upper room. You saw cloven tongues of fire resting upon the heads of all those disciples as they sat there. Revival is fire. Fire burns. Fire provides heat and it provides warmth. When revival truly hits us, our cold hearts really start to get warm again. Yeah. You know, because religion, because when we get into that dull habit, we become dull ourselves, don't we? Mm -hmm. A revived person is excited. In fact, I heard one of these fitness gurus, uh, uh, he was on the, uh, one of those lose weight shows and stuff, and he's one of the most examples of fit people. And he was training at this workout facility, and he gave a testimony about how he didn't know this, but he had heart issues. And there was a doctor training with him, but he literally had a mass heart attack there. And if that doctor wouldn't have been there to revive him and, uh, and, and, put, and administer CPR, he would have died. He has a testimony now of being awakened again and revived. And that person who is revived now has a story. And it's beautiful when the believers in Jesus Christ have a story to tell. John the Baptist also in the Bible it talks about us being little Christ. Do you know you were a little Christ? As Guinness writes, Then on the day of Pentecost, Jesus gave that same titanic gift to the whole church, commissioning them for their task on behalf of all of humanity and promising him now an intrepid band of followers that through the gift of his spirit they would do even greater deeds than he had done when he was with them. 
No wonder the story that exploded from this commission was called the Acts of the Apostles rather than the Message of the Apostles. The Acts. James says, you talk faith, I show you works. The Acts of the Apostles. K. Arthur writes this, and this is a challenge for all of us in the spirit of revival. If you don't plan to live the Christian life totally committed to knowing your God and walking in obedience to Him, then don't begin. For this is what Christianity is all about. It's a change of citizenship, a change of governments, a change of allegiance. If you have no intention of letting Christ rule your life, then just forget Christianity. It's not for you. Now we don't get, we don't say that in church. We don't want to turn anyone away, right? But I want to tell you today that if you don't plan on living your life fully committed to Christ, then don't do this Christianity thing because it's not for you. Go hug a tree or do yoga or something. Do something that will appeal to yourself. You know, go go make food for a living. Do something. But don't get involved in the Christian faith because it will require you being completely committed to Him and getting on fire for Him and in obedience to Him. The question then for revival is this. And I really want to dumb it down because we're talking about how do we get revival here? Do we got to pray harder? Do we got to do this? Do we got to do that? Do we got to bring this guest speaker in here? And folks, you can get a cloud up here and get a lot of excitement and a lot of people, right? But if you read... The, the, his, the history of revivals and what they have with like Anabaptists and all these things that happened all the way back, it all did start with prayer. And it started with little small groups of people that started getting excited about the things of God for their life. But this is a question for us here at Turning Point. Is it something that we want? You might not want it. Maybe you're happy with that. And I love this. Because we live in a society today that's highly secular. That's all about talking good thoughts, but they don't ascribe where those good thoughts actually come from or what God is, do, what God is doing. Maybe you're happy with the quiet yoga classes or the self-help books that reassure you of yourself. Os Guinness writes, put all the self-help philosophies and techniques and seminars together. Bring in all the counselors and the psychologists and the psychiatrists ever trained. And never in a million years would humanity as it was and is ever be capable of achieving a new humanity. You think about that. You bring all the experts of culture. You bring all the people with all the know-how. They could never revive a community of people. But you know what can bring revival to a nation is God's church. Which the Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You want to say, how do we bring revival? Through us. Through you and me, little Christs, lights, cities on a hill. How do we bring revival? How do we bring change? How do we bring hope? Well, you've got to believe you have hope in you. But you've got to want it. And you've got to quit excusing yourself from getting involved from the baptism of fire, which the Holy Spirit commands us to be filled with. This stuff's not for me. It's freaky. It's crazy. It sure is. It is so not like you. It is so other. It doesn't fit into your little box. The Holy Spirit will mess your box up. Is this something you want? You see, this wasn't just revival messages that was marked with power. Do you know what was demonstrated? It was the disciples' very lives. For how apart from the Spirit were they able to overcome and live with the revolutionary new way of Christ? I think of this in Jeremiah 20, verse 9. Let's turn there real quick. How many going through tough times? I remember when the prophet Jeremiah said this was like fire shut up in my bones. I used to think that's a really cool verse. And then I read the context of it and I'm like, ow. This is not a fun time. See, this is not a fun time for a believer when you start going into revival. 
We think revival happens and we're going to be on a cloud and we're going to float and we're going to be like Moses showing up to places. Let me help you. I have the answer to all of life's problems. It wasn't that way. Because many times, even in your revival and what you're going through, people won't accept you. People won't like you. People won't like what you have to say about something. Jeremiah 20, verse 9. This is Jeremiah's complaint. By the way, God filled him. He's God's prophet. So he's God's man. Think about this. He is a prophet. Do you know how rare that was in the Old Testament to be called a prophet? Oh, Lord, you misled me. And I allowed myself to be misled. You are stronger than I am, and you overpowered me, and now I am mocked every day. And everyone laughs at me. And when I speak, the words burst out. Violence and destruction I shout. So these messages from the Lord have made me a household joke. But if I say, I'll never mention the Lord or speak His name, His words burn in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. And I am wore out trying to hold it in, and I can't do it. I have heard many rumors about me, and they call me the man who lives in terror. And they threaten, if you say anything, we'll report it. And even my old friends who are watching me waiting for a fatal slip, he will trap himself, they said, and then we'll get revenge on him. But the Lord stands beside me like a great warrior. Before him my persecutors will stumble. They cannot defeat me. They will fail and be thoroughly humiliated. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of heaven's armies, you test those who are righteous and you examine the deepest thoughts and secrets. Let me see your vengeance against them, for I have committed my cause to you. Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord, for I thought I was poor and needy. He rescued me from the oppressors. And here's what he says. And in this moment, by the way, this was the closest Jeremiah or anyone could ever get to blaspheming God to Scripture. Yet I curse the day I was born. May no one celebrate the day of my birth. I curse the messenger who told my father, Good news, you have a son. Let him be destroyed like the cities of old that the Lord overthrew without mercy. Terrify him all day long with battle shouts, because he did not kill me at birth. Or that I have died in my mother's womb, that her body would have been my grave. Why was I ever born? My entire life has been filled with trouble, sorrow, and shame. You see, we think when revival hits and when the fire of God comes down, that we get the parade, the droves of people to come. And may we never forget that even in revival, and when Jesus in his ministry was doing miracle after miracle, and the droves of people were astounded, boy, this guy's great, what's he doing? And then Jesus declares to him, if you're going to have any part of me, you will drink my blood and eat my flesh. And that's when they all said, it's uh, kind of lunchtime at this point. We've got to go. See, when revival hits us, many of us are in that contemplative moment going, God, I have this fire in me, but it's like, I want to run and hide because what you're trying to tell me and what you're trying to have me do is very difficult and hard, and people don't like what I'm doing. Revival is not acceptable in the hearts of people. Church will always be the most popular thing to do on Sunday. Living with the spirit of revival is a completely new way to live. Think the other day when I was walking with Hunter. You know, when you're sick and you're, you're down. It's kind of funny, man. I would get so bored. I mean, I hate sitting. And I would sit and I would, I would stand up and I would just stand in the kitchen and just try to talk to Anna. Anna's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm so tired of sitting on this dumb couch. i got to stand for a few. So I'd go back and I'd sit down and... Finally, we got free and everything was good. Me and Hunter at the store. And I'm walking out of the store. I'm like, man, Hunter, it feels good to be alive. <laughs> Revival does something in all of us to where we say, Father, thank God I'm alive. Turn us where we say, thank God I'm alive. <laughs> the spirit of revival, by the way, has faith merely become words for us. Well, I'll tell you right now, in our nation's seminaries, my father-in-law calls them cemeteries, which they are. They've become more words 
than they have actual faith. Osginus writes, From then onward, however, the church achieved its own power and glory, and as faith grew fashionable, the increase in secular power meant a corresponding decrease in spiritual power. Slowly, the next century showed discernible trends that steadily reduced the earlier reliance on the power of the Spirit, so that as we move closer to our own day, it becomes clear that in much of the church, the unseen is no more real for Christian than it is for the atheists. And many otherwise orthodox Christians are in effect operational atheists or atheist unawares. To be sure, Christians still affirm the historic creeds, and we say we believe in the Holy Spirit and prayer and supernatural, but for many, they are now only words. Is the Holy Spirit today in your life, in my life, the forgotten one? I mean, are we pretty much practicing atheists in the church? We've got a great creed, but the demonstration of the Spirit is not there. Remember Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I didn't come to you with sound words. I didn't come to you with, with great words. I came to you with power and demonstration of the Spirit. Let me tell you one thing that revival is. And it all starts with, you know where revival starts? With you. It's very self-focused. Revival is self-focused. Here's how revival comes to us. If you need revival today, Richard Foster goes, man, I need to pray God change me. We want to change this. We want to change this law. We want to change the president. We want to change the center. We want to do this. We're in a big election cycle right now. Change it all. It's horrible. Change it all. Isn't it great being a Christian that our kingdom doesn't depend on this world? I'm not losing my brain, folks. Some people are because they're built into a system. But I am in God's system. So I rest at night at the end of the day. How revival comes to us is it doesn't come by louder music or louder preaching, although I'm very loud. It does come from humble and contrite hearts. Richard Foster writes, One evening I was jogging when a dozen or more breath prayers poured from my lips. Here are a few of those prayers that came tumbling out that summer evening. O oh Lord, baptize me with your love. Teach me gentleness, Father. Jesus, let me receive your grace. Gracious Master, remove my fear. Reveal my sin. O Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, help me feel loved. Those are breath prayers. We think revival is contingent on us like doing something on a treadmill spiritually. Folks, if we would just come with a humble, contrite heart and say, Lord, I'm afraid of this. I'm honest in here. Lord, help me reveal this to me. Reveal a sin to me. Maybe, maybe we keep hitting a wall in the light and in an area of our life and we say, Lord, reveal a sin to me. Reveal even the unknown areas of my life that I have not checked in my spirit. Folks, revival is not difficult in the sense that when we come to the Lord and we're honest about it, really simple breath prayers, when you're driving down the road and when you're honest and when you talk to them, you don't have to have a hundred-page letter to God about your day and have it end with thee, thou, and thouest. Turn someone and say, thouest isest. <laughs> you don't need it. God doesn't need it. He's heard enough. He goes on to write no more than seven or eight syllables in those prayers. Also note that the sense of nearness and intimacy, God is addressed in a close, personal way. See too how the person expresses dependence, docility, and trust. The opposite is self-reliance. Then notice all the prayers and requests. This is a self-focused prayer in the sense that we are asking something to be done in us. But it is not self-centered prayer, for the requests of the breath prayers are seasoned reflections in the wills and ways of God. So it's focused on us, but it's not self-centered. When we pray for revival, it's not self-centered, but it is focused saying, God, I'm the star of the problem. 
And every one of us has been pointing our fingers at other people and other stuff trying to find the solutions. And folks, I'm going to tell you right now in the church, if we want to find the answers to the problem, it's going to start right here and see I'm the problem. Everyone's like, yeah, that's right, Pastor Thomas. <laughs> We're all the problem. And we have to take our hats off in reverence and say, God, forgive me. When Moses stood between God and the children of Israel, and God was telling him, get out of the way, Moses. I'm going to take them all out. Moses declared, it's crazy. In Exodus 32, he said, there's a lot mining out of the book, too. You're willing to stand for these people and intercede? Yes, they're worth it. See, revival starts with the understanding that we take on the sins of people, too. Just as Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, we can take on the sins of people. We can stand in the gap for people. As opposed to throwing stones at people and saying, boy, they deserve what they're getting. Grace teaches us a completely different set of rules and standards. Number two is resistance. We have resistance from within us, don't we? We have an empowered will. How many of you can... uh, You've been a believer for a long time, but how many know that people can get under your skin? That's that empowered will. It's very empowered. Have you ever noticed that you don't need to teach anyone how to sin? You don't have to have a class. Anybody wants to learn how to sin, come over here. No, when that baby comes out of the womb and it sets up, that baby's already stealing stuff. Nobody had to tell that baby how to take the toy from Timmy. That baby knows it. There's an empowered will in us. In fact, Romans chapter 7, verse 22, let's see how empowered our wills are. So you want to have some resistance training, you're going to have to start fighting against yourself. Quit blaming it on all the demons and people around you. You're the selfish one. It's getting good, isn't it? That's how come we can get upset when someone cuts in front of us. When you realize that, you just back up for a moment and go, God, sorry about my very empowered (laughs) self-will. He says in Romans 7, verse 22, here's what he says, and this is what's crazy. This is where resistance training is. He says, I love God's law with all of my heart. Isn't that a neat, cute verse? Wow. I love God's law with all of my heart. God's law, his edict, his commands for me, I love them. And then he goes on to say, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. That power makes me a slave to the sin that is within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. You see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to the sin. So now there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul understands the battlefield, and the battlefield is in the mind. And for you and I, the empowered will and the resistance that we need to deal with, some of us need to quit chasing demons around and say, that selfishness, that's in you, and you're going to have to fight against cotton-picking flesh. Everyone say, cotton-picking flesh. All of us have it. So no one can walk around here and go, some of us want to go to Monkville and think that going to Monkville will do it, and all of a sudden a deer runs in front of you and you go, stupid deer, what's that deer doing? That empowered will, back here in. It doesn't matter where you at, where you are at. But that empowered will is what we must go after. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power at play here with my mind. John Piper writes, God intends that part of my experience of sanctification be consciously willed opposition to specific sins in my life. Folks, let me put it like this. If your problem is with your mouth, okay? So like, let's say you're just cussing all the time. Make it a plan today 
And maybe you didn't think cussing was a bad thing, but can I tell you today, turn someone and say, cussing's not a good thing. <laughs> so if cussing is your problem and your problems with your mouth, then take the opportunity to say, I'm going to be on mission to deal with specific sins in my life because it's a sanctification. You see, we think when we're revived that we won't have problems anymore. And I say when you're revived, you're awakened to more problems and you start actually fighting the empowered will within yourself. So you actually engage in many more battles many times. And I want you to declare this over yourself today. Whoever the sun sets free is free indeed. When Jesus died on the cross, he died once and for all for your sin. But make it your mission to say, that sin is defeated in me. I am no longer a slave to that sin. The Bible says that I am free from that junk. Make it your mission today to say, I'm going to conquest that will of mine that thinks I have the right to this. And that's that empowered will. Get a plan of attack going. If you've got a problem with your words, then I challenge you to start dealing with your heart issues because out of the abundance of the heart, what? It's interesting. If your problem is money, and you think all that money that comes into your pocketbook is yours, and you worked hard for it, and you're extremely selfish with your giving, I challenge you today to look through your checkbook and say, what is my register saying, and how am I blowing it on myself? And I challenge you to say, you empowered self-will, this isn't your money, this is God's money, and start giving it to other people. Make it a mission to say, I'm going to fight myself, because I'm selfish. Make it your mission. If your problem is junk on the television screen, maybe you don't need the grand package of direct TV. Maybe you back off of it and say, you know what, I don't need that garbage in my life anymore. And you start getting away from those things. This is sanctification. This is resistance. And you need to resist yourself. You and I in the church give ourselves way too much allowances. We give ourselves a lot of grace. We don't give anybody any grace, but we give ourselves a lot of grace. Get a plan of attack going. We all have our wills that rise up. But you know what you and I need? We need training for righteousness, the Bible says. Training under righteousness. Resistance to the enemy. Karl Barth writes this, To clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. Folks, you want to change the world and resist what the enemy said? You know, the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's how power, that's the kind of power that you and I have. Resist the devil and he will flee. When you begin to pray and declare the things of God, God will do something beautiful. You can bring change. One of my favorite authors, and I challenge you to get this book. It will mess you up. It will it'll, it'll cause you to think and pause page after page is Leonard Ravenhill's book, Why Revival Tarries. And he says, we display our gifts, natural and spiritual. We air our views politically and spiritually. We will preach a sermon or write a book to correct a brother in doctrine. But who will storm hell's strongholds? Who will say the devil nay? Who will deny himself good food or good company or good rest that hell may gaze upon him wrestling, embarrassing demons, liberating captives, depopulating hell, and leaving an answer to his travail, a stream of blood-washed souls? I think that's so amazing. He says, you know, we don't have any problem debating scripture. We don't have any problem debating politics. But who is storming the gates of hell? Who is resisting the devil on other people's behalf? Who is embarrassing demons right now? I love that, how he said that. When you hear the problems going on in people's lives, you say, man, all I can do is pray. Man, sometimes that is the most powerful thing you could ever do. Don't ever say again, all I can do is pray. Reformation. This is the Reformation part. K. Arthur writes, well, I've already said that one, never mind. 
Let's talk about Martin Luther. Remember Martin Luther's 95 Theses? He really messed things up. All the priests said, no, 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 don't, don't, you can't do that. He was preaching against the indulgences. These priests had, had completely blown apart the spirit of the gospel, and they would sell indulgences in the church, basically giving people, well, if you give enough here, we'll give you a free pass to heaven. How many of you can't buy your way out of hell and you can't buy your way into heaven? Selling indulgences. Have you ever noticed Reformation? We want God to change the world. Oh, Johnny, that sinner across the street. God, what a horrible guy. Look at all those. Oh, look at his tattoo. What a horrible guy. Turn to someone and say, what a horrible guy. And all the horrible guys are in the church all put together, not doing anything with the gospel that God's given to them. Go help Johnny and get to know Johnny because you might find that Johnny's really cool and has a lot of cool things to tell you. Martin Luther didn't go over to the bars and say, Sell your notices. You know where he went? Church. Church, he says. goes into the temple. They're selling indulgences. Boy, we have a lot of repenting up to do, don't we? Jesus goes to the temple and he sees he's taking advantage of these poor souls. We, these people can't even hardly afford to, to, to come there, so let's mark it up here. They've turned this into a den of thieves. So he goes in there and he starts flipping tables with those fine religious people. They love the Lord. Hear him praying, sing to God. Oh, isn't the beautiful stained glass in there? Oh, my. Oh, Grandma Joyce, great. Oh, so fantastic. Johnny would love this place. It's garbage. It's lifeless. It's whitewashed tombs. We need reformation. Webster's Dictionary defines to reform, to put an end to an evil by enforcing or introducing a better method or course of action. So what God does in the church is he said, listen, you're doing things wrong. You're taking advantage of people. You're not loving people. You're not leading them to me. You're actually driving people away. You're becoming a wedge as opposed to a bridge. We need reformation in the church. We don't need the world to change. I don't want the world to stay sinning, but sin less. Can I get an amen there? I don't need the world to sin less. I need believers. I need to be a believer that is allowing reformation to happen because I'm taking advantage of the grace of God and the fire has gone out. I need reformation. We don't like this story because it makes us feel uncomfortable and we have to check ourselves and say, God, have I been that person that has been the driving wedge? Do I need 95 theses knocked to the door of my heart today? In Reformation, I love this. Timothy Keller writes this. If God, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idolized version of yourself. If your God never disagrees with you, you just might be worshiping an idolized version of yourself. Think about that. I don't want God, I don't want to be in a place where I am not being in a place of correction. Do you know when the Holy Spirit comes, He corrects, He comforts. You know, we like the comforting part, but how many like correction? <laughs> I don't want to be corrected. Don't correct me because I'm always right. Come on. Isn't everyone always right in this place? Can I get an amen there? No, no. Jim's not raising his hand today. No. <laughs> Folks, in Reformation, 
Is God disagreeing with you at all? And by the way, when God disagrees with us, when I disagree with my kids or something, where there's, it's not I don't love them, I want to bring correction and I want to bring change. When God disagrees with us, He disciplines those whom He loves. When He brings reformation to our heart, now reformation is different than revival. I'm already revived. I don't need some... Can you imagine somebody coming up to me right now and pressing on my heart and going, Here, let me... Get away! I'm alive! I'm fine! But when God starts to disagree with something in our life that He doesn't like, and we don't allow Him to disagree with us, or we have created a gospel that is so padded and so cute that it fits into us and we cut things out of the Bible that we don't like. You know, here's the beautiful thing about the Bible. When you allow the Bible to truly be the Bible, it will cut you. It will. It will cut you. It will cut to the very bone and marrow. It will bring your own selfish, empowered will thoughts that you've built up, your own selfish doctrine about things. See, because you can't put God in a box. You can't put God in your cute little thing that you've created. The minute you start to do that, then God says, Wait, this is not I this is not how it's supposed to be. I am God and you are not. Is God disagreeing with you at all? And if he is, then a beautiful thing can start to happen. We can get into that. And just like Martin Luther, because Martin Luther's life wasn't perfect. You know, many of us, we, we, many of us throw ourselves, we throw the towel in the ring because, well, well, I failed here, I'm not good here, so I really can't be part of the Reformation part because I'm disqualified. Cause I, no, no, you're actually, in some, you're more qualified. You can show people that the gospel is the way and the truth and the life, and that no man comes to the Father but through me. That this gospel isn't for some select few people that have figured it out. The gospel is for everyone. It's reformation. This is where we become spiritually defiant. Richard Foster writes, The true prophetic message always calls us to a spiritual defiance of the world as we know it now. It undermines the status quo. Folks, God is looking for people and their prayer and how they walk to say, I want to be someone who undermines the status quo. I want God to change things. I want God to bring change. I want to be part of that solution. Like Abraham was a, we, we bargained with God over the fate of the city. Like Moses, we argue with God over the fate of the people. Like Esther, we plead with God over the fate of a nation. Richard Foster writes, we speak to God about the bruised and the broken and the helpless and the homeless. We speak to others as well. Our spiritual defiance leads to a firm, aggressive action against all injustice and oppression. We are enraged that people are thrown into prison at the whim of an unjust ruler, or that the child down the street is emotionally and physically abused. We are insulted that our culture defines choice in such a way as to pit a woman's body against herself. Or that it defines life in such a way as to grind the poor all the more deeply into their poverty. Instead, we must turn a deaf ear to media caricatures and prayerfully discern the way of Christ amid complex issues of the day. How many of you know we got complex issues of the day? We can be spiritual defiant ones, folks. We do not get our orders from anyone but the Word of God. And folks, I want to tell you, reformation can happen in our hearts. And in an arena of politics, when we're getting ready to vote here in a few short weeks, I want you to know, base your votes on the biblical context and the biblical merits as best as you can. What does this politician stand for on the baby? What does he stand for? What does this politician stand for when it comes to traditional marriage? Where does he stand Discern the way of Christ amid complex. And folks, you can turn a deaf ear to things. You can shut things off. Are you becoming more defiant in the things of the world, or are you becoming more subservient in the church? And I think in many ways the church is becoming more subservient. You know why? Because we want the applause of men. Or maybe you've taken the idea 
that this battle isn't my battle to fight. I want you to think about it this way. A venerable old sage once asked his disciples, how can we know when the darkness is leaving and the dawn is coming? One student says, when we come and see a tree in the distance and know that this is an elm or a, not a Jupiter ventured, one student. When we can see an animal and know that it's a fox and not a wolf, chimed in another. No, said the old man, these things will not help us. It puzzled the students and demanded, how can we know then? The master teacher drew himself up to his full stature and replied quietly, We know the darkness is leaving and the dawn is coming when we can see another person and know that this is our brother and our sister. Otherwise, no matter what time it is, it is still dark. Folks, I want to tell you in Reformation, the call is for us to look at all the people out there as our brother and our sister. Because if you don't have love for another like Christ did, Christ died for us even when we were yet sinners. When he sees you and me, he sees us as his brothers and sisters, as part of his kingdom. And folks, you need to look at your neighbor as a future believer in Jesus Christ. The future version of God's plan for them. Otherwise, you will get dull and you will die to the opportunity that God has a plan in the future for every man, woman, and child on planet Earth. I think of the shoeboxes, wherever that went, there it is. The millions upon millions of things. Operation Christmas Child has decided through reformation and resistance to say, you know what, we can defeat evil. You know how we defeat evil? We can defeat evil with good. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is still the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do you overcome evil? Overcome evil with good. Romans chapter 12 Verses 20 and 21. How do we defeat all the problems around us? Romans 20 and 21. Or Romans 12, 20 and 21. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. That's our plan of attack. That's pretty hard, though, isn't it? Sandra, if you wanted to come up here and start playing. Folks, this was uh, this is a hard message. And I'll be chewing on it. Hopefully you'll be chewing on it. We've all heard the, the great revival sermons and all this and that, and people can preach way better than me on that. But with every head bowed and every eye closed, today maybe you say, you know what, I'm open to Jesus Christ. And maybe today you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You don't have him in your heart. And I invite you to know this, that if you taste and see that the Lord is good, He is good. And He loves you and He has a purpose for your life. And today, if you want to know this Jesus, He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, which simply means that He will never leave you and He'll never let you down. He'll always be by your side. And what's really Interesting is what Jesus does with sin is he takes and he casts it as far as from the east as from the west and he casts our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. He doesn't keep anything. He doesn't say, see. He doesn't remind us of our past. He brings a glorious future to us. Today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you want to invite him into your heart and your life, with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you please raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Today, the second thing is this. Maybe church, Christianity, faith has become a cold, dull habit for you. And you need revival. I want to do something a little different today. I want you to take the moment, if this is the case for you, and you say, you know what, I need revival in my life.
This isn't necessarily for everyone, but you might be going through a great revival right now in a great place. But maybe God's waking some things up in your heart right now. And maybe right now you don't hear all the trumpets and stuff, but you just know, just you're aware of something's not right. And you want revival to come to you in your home. I don't want you to raise your hand. What I would ask you to do is kneel right there at your chair if you can. If you can't, just kneel in your heart. But if you can kneel, just kneel before the Lord and just, we're just going to pray a simple prayer. Just, Lord, change me. Change my heart. If that's you today, just please do that. The simplicity of these moments is this. Those of you who are saying, man, I need revival in my life right now. I need change. That it's not going to be this earth-shattering thing. But the everyday moments where God reveals to you His Spirit and you see revival and change is brought simply because of the humility that you express. Lord, change me. Why don't we all pray this together? Lord, Change me. Change me. Lord, Lord, change me. Change me. Father, I just pray over this whole group right now, Father. This, this church turning point. God, may you spark revival in our hearts. May each and every one of us have a, an upper room experience with you. As you bring change to us and reveal to us whether it be sin or fears or doubts or worries, things that we're afraid to get into, things that we have a lot of questions about. But Lord, bring revival here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Folks, I love you very, very much. And you'll find what will happen is when revival starts happening is we get some Martin Luther's in this place. Reformation, you start getting resistance. Now we're awake. Got a deep breath, we go out there. Now we have that empowered self-will when we're driving and the stupid guy pulls in front of us on 90. And we're going to see how revival works. (laughs) Here comes revival! As we see that resistance so, folks, I don't want you to get down on yourself, though, man. Really, I don't. I, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're not a perfect soul in this place. But know that God is bringing, and, and the very fact that you think about those things is the fact that the Holy Spirit's actually making things aware to you. It's a really neat thing. But I, I love you so much, and have a wonderful, wonderful week. Please uh, be aware of these guys coming up here. We're actually going to do a, a packing demonstration next Sunday. So be here. It's going to be a great, great week. Don't forget about women's tomorrow and then Tuesday for men's. God bless you. I love you.